Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Luke Slaybaugh, the host of Raw Tools on the Studio Soapbox Network, as we will talk to Luke about uh, some college football and a number of things with Luke when he joins us. Coming up later on in the show, plus we'll have Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group with a look around the National Football League and in college football, as well as our picks against the spread this week. We'll also have our Big 12 breakdown coming up, and we will have our Tom Fullery story of the week coming up later on at the end of today's show as well. Glad to have you with us. Thanks for making us a part of your day. And I got to tell you, it's, uh, it's a, a great time right now. You know, I, I'm last year, folks. I was uh, I was working a job that forced me to uh, be in the office every Saturday and Sunday, and I felt like I was I was in a cage of some sorts because I wasn't getting to uh, go to football games and you'd know, be there, you know, in those environments. I mean, like I, I think. I went to one college football game all year. That was that uh, Oklahoma-Kansas State game. It was a great time. Enjoyed myself and everything. Um, but this year, I've already gone to a couple games already. Uh, went to the Oklahoma State-Baylor game this past weekend. Uh, good time. Waco, I wasn't too impressed with. Nice stadium, but the tailgate scene and uh, the surroundings, I mean, it... it it didn't do it for me. Like, I felt it didn't feel like college football. It felt like high school football in a sense. Like, uh, you know, I, I, I enjoyed myself, no doubt, and had some good time with, with friends and everything, but uh, was not my favorite. Waco, uh, not high on my list. I'll put it that way uh, anymore. But uh, going to be at OU Texas this weekend, Red River Shootout, and... Uh, you know, I, I hear people are telling me, you know, like Tyler, man, wh- why are you not going to Lawrence, you know, college game day there and everything. I, I got to tell you that that is a, that's a big deal. I mean, that's a big effing deal that KU is getting college game day. Me personally, I've seen the basketball version of that show and you've been around that and everything. I mean, to me, you know, I, I don't need to go to game day personally. Um, I've seen how that show operates. You know, at the end of the day, it's it's a TV show, right? Uh, but for KU, and for all they've been through, it, it, it feels like getting college game day this weekend, it, it's almost a sign of, it, it, it feels like a sign of relevance, like, legitimacy, right? That KU's now 5-0, and they're ranked, and that they've made it. This team is legit, okay? I mean, that that's what, to me, means more than anything. Besides, you know, is, is it cool to have, you know, Lee Corso and Kirk and Pat McAfee, Pollock, Dez, you know, Reese, those guys, you know, all there? That That's, that's awesome. And the scene there on the hill and everything, it's, it's going to be great. But 
more than anything, it's about the legitimacy that it brings. Um, so although I won't be in Lawrence this weekend, I will be there in spirit. I'm planning to go to Lawrence uh, later on in the year for that Texas game and uh, on senior day. And that's going to be something, folks, I, I think, as KU tries to beat Texas again. Uh, but I am looking forward to Red River this weekend. This will be my first ever Red River shootout. Now, um, as we've said many times on this show over the years, we're not calling it the showdown or you know the Red River rivalry. No, 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 it's the shootout. Real ones know it's, it's the shootout. That's what it is, okay? Uh, I'm not calling it anything otherwise. So, so my agenda, th- this is what I'm looking at, folks. The next few weeks, um, I'm headed to the Red River Shootout this weekend. My first visit, going to get me a corny dog, all that. And then uh, next week, I'm going up to Norman to watch my Jayhawks and Oklahoma play there in Lawrence. And uh, that should be a good time. Or not in Lawrence, in, uh, in Norman. And uh, that should be a good time. And uh, the week following... I can't watch any college football because my one of my colleagues, my uh, one of my good friends, Dominic Argon's getting married. I got to go to his wedding. This this dude scheduled a, a wedding on a football Saturday. I mean, he's lucky I don't kill him over that. That I'm going to this wedding begrudgingly. I'm going to this wedding. Um, I love Dominic, but you know he he, he works in the NASCAR world. And not only did he schedule a wedding during football season, but also during NASCAR season, too. Uh, are you, you kidding me, you dumbass? I mean, you're lucky anyone's showing up to this wedding. Uh, I told him that's, that's like the first step for a failed marriage right there, scheduling uh, a wedding during, the, during, during football season, during a Saturday in the fall. But nonetheless, I will go to the wedding. And then... Uh, you know, I'll go to that KU Texas game. You know, in November, but I, I would say I'm on like this college football tour of sorts. I was deprived of getting to go to college football games last year, so I am making up for lost time right now. And gotta say, it's good to be back. We're back, baby. Enjoying myself here. Uh, that's for sure. But nonetheless, uh, we'll talk more uh, college football coming up. In uh, just a bit, but where I want to begin today is kind of a look around the National Football League and uh, looking at some of the top games this week. And where where I want to want to start is not necessarily your your high profile game, but kind of a reality check of sorts, right? Um, you know, kind, kind of a point of, of hitting the reset button, right? The uh, My guy, Baker Mayfield, who I have been a very big defender of, takes on Jimmy G and the Niners this week. And it's so interesting for me that, you know, these two were were compared with each other all offseason, right? As both guys were, were being shopped. And ultimately, nobody wanted Jimmy G. There was no market for him. He takes a pay cut. 
to be the backup in San Fran. Now he's the starter with Lance out for the year. You know the story. And Jimmy G has looked horrible, just bad as can be. Um, and you can see why there was no trade market for Jimmy G. And then there's Baker, former number one overall pick. Fifth-year option, costs a lot of money. And nobody wanted to pay him that money. Carolina didn't pay him that money. Had to take a pay cut. Browns had to pay some of it, too. And all the Browns got was a fifth-round pick. And now here he is in Carolina. And I got to tell you, I hate to say this. I am not going to sit here and say I was wrong. I'm not going to that extent because it's still just four weeks in. But I got to tell you, Baker, you got to do something, man. I mean, I get it. Matt Rule is not doing a very good job. Matt Rule is not putting his players in a position to succeed right now. Um, Matt Rule's seat is getting very, very warm there in Carolina. Might be the hottest seat in the league right now. With all that considered, though, Baker Mayfield has got to play a lot better football right now. I mean, I was hearing Cowherd say this week, and granted, anytime you hear something from Colin Cowherd, you got to take it with a grain of salt, because especially considering when it's uh, about Baker Mayfield, because uh, his history and everything, and the back and forth between those two, but. You know, when, when when Collins coming out and, you know, people are saying, you know, hey, I, I might be time to hang it up and be a, a college football analyst. Um, to me, that's like, that's, that's the red flags right there. Although I think Baker would be a great commentator. I do. I thought that for a long time, and he'd be a great covered college football. Like, that's, that's not what I want to hear about my starting quarterback. If you're a Carolina Panthers fan, you know, the, the conversations you want to have is, okay, how's Baker going to lead us to the playoffs? How's Baker going to get to the Pro Bowl and play at that level? Not, is he going to be a great college football analyst on ESPN or Fox or something? No, no, no. That's not the conversations you want to be having. And, you know, Baker goes up against his old teammate, Kyler Murray, last week, and, and the Cardinals have their own problems, right? And... You know, Kyler Murray outplayed, outclassed Baker Mayfield in every sense. Baker, I mean, you're fighting for your career right now, buddy. I mean, it is not just about winning football games for Carolina and and all that. I mean, do you want to be a starter in this league somewhere? And Or do you want to be holding the clipboard next year? I mean, even next year at this point, what about you know, when Sam Darnold gets healthy? Eventually, if you keep playing like this, Sam Darnold's going to get a shot, and he'll be that starting quarterback if Baker Mayfield doesn't put it together. So, Baker, if you're listening, or people around Baker, if you're listening, get it together, okay? I expect more out of you. you got to put it together here to fight for your career, to fight for your team. You know, the, the, the unfortunate thing is, that the, the excuses here have run out, right? They've run its course. I mean, you know, with, with Baker last year was, okay, he was playing all year injured. And, you know, before that it was, you know, hey, he and Odell weren't on the same page. And 
Uh, you know, then it was, you know, his coaches, you know, were, were off track. I mean, every excuse. You know, there's there's a meme that goes around the Internet about the, the Baker Mayfield cycle, you know, of blaming his number one wide receiver, blaming the media, uh, you know, playing injured, you know, all, all these different things. And we're on the Baker Mayfield roulette wheel again. I mean, we are. And... I got to tell you, it's eventually you run out of excuses. And so, Baker, my boy, please get it together. Figure it out. This San Francisco team, you know, I know Jimmy G is not the best, but that defense is lethal, and they, they, can, they can cause a lot of problems. In fact, I'll even go as far to say that Baker has to play well this week. And, you know, on the excuse thing, we'll talk about Geno Smith later on when Bo joins us, but, you know, you look at Geno Smith four games in, Geno looks a lot better than Baker Mayfield does right now. If Geno Smith can play well through four games, but Baker Mayfield can't, woof, yee. Um, other things uh, we want to talk about uh, around the league here. Uh, Colts and Broncos coming up tonight. These two teams are very desperate. Um, I mean, you talk about teams right now that it, it's crazy to say in week five, but it feels like a must win already in this Colts-Broncos game. The, the Colts have a lot of issues, and, and for me, what – What's bizarre is with the Colts the last couple of years, what we've said is really ever since Andrew Luck left, that they were just the quarterback away. You know, they got an aging Phillip Rivers, and that didn't really work out. And, you know, Jacoby Brissett was before that, and Jacoby, you know, was okay, but not good enough. And then, you know, there was Carson Wentz, and, Carson Wentz was Carson Wentz. Now you got Matty Ice. And, I mean, you got Matty Ice at the end of his career now, too. And you're not going to get the MVP, Matt Ryan, uh, that took him to the Super Bowl a couple years ago. But he can still do enough. And right now they look like they have more issues than just the quarterback there. Denver, Nathaniel Hackett looks like a horrible coach. A bad decision maker. He and Russell Wilson are not on the same page at all. Um, you know, that, that division is, is still, even though it's not as good as what we thought it was, it's still tough enough where they are running out of time. They have to figure things out here. To, to me, my, my early synopsis on this game um. You know, you talk about must win, whatever, week five. I think whoever loses this game is done already. Colts Broncos loser out of the playoff hunt. I'll go on record and I'll say that right now. Um, other games here. Giants and Packers, that one in London. Uh, credit to Brian Dable for what he's done with the Giants of getting them to three and one. But they are one of the worst three and one teams I've ever seen. Uh, look, they are well coached. Their coaching staff's doing a good job, but that team is not that great. Um, the Packers, 
The Packers have not put it all together, but they still have Aaron Rodgers. Okay, Matt Lafleur and company. This this could be the the tune up game that gets them to the Packers that we know. You know, that's what I feel like here. That's that's the type of performance we could be seeing on Sunday out of Aaron Rodgers. Bills and Steelers. Kenny Pickett going to get his first career start, and you know the the blogger boys out there are going to point to with Kenny Pickett last week that. Man, he had three interceptions, first time out in the football field. Well, you know, those blogger boys are going to say that, whatever, but then the analytic nerds will point to, I was looking at some numbers from Pro Football Focus this week, and of those three interceptions, none of those should have been turnovers. That it was on the receivers not doing their job and not making plays there. And, you know, I, I think for Steeler fans, they were so frustrated with Trubisky of how much he was holding back and how scared he played. I mean, we'll see if it works or not, but to his credit, Kenny Pickett, he ain't scared. He's, he's got some moxie to him. Um, I'm just excited to see this guy get a shot. I don't know if it's going to work. But the dude plays with some swag. He plays with some confidence. And that's what that Steeler team needs right now. They they need that spark. You know, Big Ben, say what you want about Big Ben. And there's a lot of people that don't like Big Ben, and I completely get it. Um, but Big Ben had something about him, right? I mean, Big Ben never played scared. Big Ben was tough as nails. And that's what they want in Pittsburgh. I think that's what they're they're looking from Kenny Pickett, and they, they might be able to, to just get that out of him, like that Big Ben attitude like that. Buffalo, they got a lot of injuries. Um, they don't look like the team that they were to begin the season, but that team is still fantastic here. They got to stop bleeding, though. I mean, like, that injury list is long, that thing cannot afford to get longer. They got to get healthy here, folks. Um, now, the way their division stacks up, Miami without two, and that's a whole other story we'll get into later. But the Patriots don't look good. The Jets don't look good. You know, Buffalo, with these injuries and everything, could still be just fine in the division race. But eventually things get catch up to you and you hurt your chances of being that number one seed, getting that off wake, you know, in the in the postseason and all that. So that's what's at stake for the Bills at this point in time. Uh, other games, uh, Bears and Vikings. Uh, the Bears, I saw some uh, mock drafts this week of them looking at Bryce Young. And I'm like, really? You guys are already giving up on Justin Fields? Wasn't Justin Fields supposed to be the truth? Wasn't he supposed to be the answer? I mean, Bears fans were so ecstatic about them bringing in Justin Fields. Way more than they were about the Trubisky pick and everything. What happened there? Have we already given up on Fields at this point? I wonder. Maybe we're talking. Um, Vikings, sneaky good team at 3-1. and one. The offense is there. Kirk Cousins is doing enough. Hmm. 
that's a team I, I'm, I'm keeping my, my, my ears peeled and my eyes on, is that Minnesota team. Your one loss was to the best team in football right now, the Eagles. Not the end of the world. Um, other games I uh, want to look at across uh, the NFL here. Uh, the Falcons and the Bucks. Look, Tom Brady, and, and we'll dive into this situation. You know, I, I wish him the best in this whole, you know, divorce with Giselle and everything. I mean, that that's a that's a bad deal, and you don't wish that upon anybody. And I hope that him and the kids and Giselle and everybody's okay and all that. You know, that's that's not fun to go through. Um, but I feel like we're going to see on the football field, in football terms, when Tom Brady plays with an edge, when, when he's got something to prove, oh, man, he, he is just something else, right? I mean, his whole story, his whole entire career he has played with the chip on his shoulder from... You know, splitting time at Michigan to uh, being, you know, a sixth-round pick to, you know, trying to prove that he was better than Bledsoe and, you know, everything in between. You know, playing into his 40s and, you know, going to Tampa and, you know, not having Belichick, you know, and, and then now, you know, this whole ordeal you know it could it very well could be a distraction uh but knowing Tom Brady I'm not betting against Tom Brady and maybe this even extends his career maybe it does I don't know but Tom Brady his love for the game his commitment I know that people are pointing to how much time that you know he missed at training camp and, you know, that he's not practicing every day and all that. He's 45, man. He doesn't have to be out there. You know, he, he, he's, he, he's still all about that. So watch out, folks. This could be, you know, the Falcons are a bad football team. This could be a bloodbath. I almost feel bad for the Atlanta Falcons here. They have to go get up against Tom Brady this week. Um... A couple more things here. Cowboys and uh, Rams. We had heard early reports that Dak was going to be back, but that might not be until next week after all. So this could be one more start for Cooper Rush. And Cooper Rush, I'll, I'll say this. I know that Jerry and others have tried to create this quarterback controversy here. Um, two things can be true. Cooper Rush is doing a very good job. And all that's asked of him, and he's winning football games, he's playing well. That is true. It's also true that he is not Dak. That Dak is a better quarterback. And that this is still Dak's team and everything. Um, you know, I think that Cooper Rush has done enough that he'll have, he'll have some suitors next offseason that the Cowboys can get some value for him or something. But... As far as I'm concerned of the idea of, uh, you know, benching Dak, I mean, that, that's just ridiculous. I mean, this offense is limited 
and what they can do with Cooper Rush compared to Dak. They're not opening up the entire offense right now. Um, so with that, no, you, you still got to bring Dak back. Um, as far as I'm concerned, Cooper Rush is good, but he's doing exactly what his job should be as a backup quarterback. The Rams are a hot mess right now. Stafford looked awful last week. They have a lot of issues on that team right now. They do not look like that Super Bowl team from last year. But, you know, last year, last year's Super Bowl team, it was a roller coaster year for them. Remember, they lost the very last week of the regular season at home to the, the 49ers. So, with that said, uh, Sean McVay is a great coach. You know, they, they have a lot of talent. They can still figure it out. But the Rams have some real issues. They have some real problems. It wasn't just one bad night of a Super Bowl hangover against the Bills. Um, they have a lot of issues that they got to deal with uh, at this point. A uh, couple more for you. Eagles are the hottest team in the NFL. Jalen Hurts is playing great. Um, I like everything I've seen. Offensively, defensively, they look like a complete football team. And they look like the team to beat in the NFC. I picked the Eagles to win the division at the beginning of the year. But I did not anticipate that they would play with such dominance. Nick Sirianni has been terrific in the way that he's called games for this team. Uh, Jalen Hurts is playing at a whole nother level right now. Um, He sold that fan base. Everybody's all in on Jalen there in Philly. Um, Watch out. Let's see. Let's see them keep it up here. Um, Bengals and Ravens, Sunday night football. This is a, a really good game. Two young quarterbacks, Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson. And it's a desperate game. It is one of those desperate games for both teams. Look, the Ravens uh, should be 4-0 right now, and they're 2-2. Two two. John Harbaugh has failed that team. I like John Harbaugh. I think he's one of the best coaches in the league. But the reason why they're 2-2 two two right now is that coaching staff. It's the decisions that have been made, the late-game decisions by Harbaugh, by Greg Roman, by Mike McDonald here. That coaching staff is holding them back. Cincinnati, I was told, everybody said, oh, their offensive line, everything's going to be better. Huh? That offensive line is cheeks. They suck. I mean, Joe Burrow has no time to throw the football. Please, can we protect my guy Joe Burrow here? Now, it looked better last week against Miami there. It was a much-needed win, but can they keep it up? We'll see. And then the Raiders and the Chiefs on Sunday night football, or on Monday night football, rather. Um, Chiefs, you had that one weird game with the Colts, but... This team is still figuring things out. And this offense without Tyreek Hill has proven it's going to be just fine. Josh McDaniels has done a terrible job as the Raiders head coach. He does not look like a head coach in this league right now. Um, The Raiders have issues. Raiders have a lot of problems. I think this game is going to be ugly. A Monday night in Kansas City, it's going to be loud. Um, I, I, I do not feel good for the Raiders and the, the coaching matchup, Andy Reid 
versus Josh McDaniels. I mean, Andy Reid should literally eat Josh McDaniels' lunch. I mean, that one, folks, is woof. Um, the Chiefs. I think what what we need to see now is what what's going to happen with that run game. Look, Clyde edwards Elaire, it's year three now, bud. What do you got? And if not him, then who else? Who's going to step up and, and get that run game going? Because, um, you know, we, we always talked about with, with replacing Tyreek Hill, like, ah, you know, it's Sky Moore, it's Juju, it's uh, Valdez Scanling, whatever. It's a collective thing. Not one player replaces Tyreek Hill. The running backs got to do that too. And they're going to be playmakers. So let's see what they have there. Um, so there you have it. That's our look around the uh, National Football League this week here on the uh, Jones Report. Let's go ahead and transition. We will talk Big 12 coming up next. We'll do our uh, Big 12 breakdown. Later on, Luke Slayball is set to join us, and uh, Coach Bo going to stop by as well. All that and more here on the Jones Report. It is time for the Big 12 breakdown. Tyler Jones here with you. Thanks for joining us with a look around the Big 12 Conference this week. And we begin with our Big 12 hot takes as we do each and every week on the breakdown. And I got to tell you, uh, first off, when it comes to the hot takes, uh, I said this last week, and I will reiterate this, drive it into the ground. I told you OU season was over last year. Um... And now it's it's really done. I mean, things are not good in Norman right now. You had that, that win against Nebraska. That was cute, sure. But, I mean, losing to TCU, getting blown out the way that they did, losing a close one to K-State and everything. I mean, the expectations in Norman every year, is the Big 12 titles the minimum, right? Then after that, it's trying to go to the college football playoff and winning playoff games and, you know, hopefully a national championship. You're not even going to win the Big 12 at this point. At two losses already. And the schedule for Oklahoma, you got Texas this week, still got Oklahoma State later, still got Baylor coming up later, still got Kansas next week. It's not getting easy. It's not getting any easier. There's more losses coming for those Sooners. Brent Venables, look, it's year one. Um, You know, has he disappointed? Has his team's not been prepared? Yes. But I I think that if you're an Oklahoma fan, you got to temper the expectations a little bit. Um, Let's see how this year goes. Next year is is the true test. If you're an Oklahoma fan, I think you're already thinking about next year as that make-or-break year. Venable's done a great job in the recruiting trail. They're trying to change the culture there. They're trying to get tougher. They're going to take some lumps along the way, but if you're an Oklahoma fan, I think you're already stacking up your cards and thinking about next year at this point. It's a tough pill to swallow, but I think that's the reality at this point. Um, Other hot takes this week. For Kansas, you know, 
Last week, they they win in a defensive battle against Iowa State. You know, 14 to 11, I believe, was the final score. Um, my, my, my hot take, or my, my observation of sorts here, um, some people are pointing to, where did that offense go? You know, was, you know what, what I say is, with that Kansas team last week, is that, you know, good teams find ways to win. When you're not playing your best, and you still find a way, and that's what I thought that Kansas team did last week, that they still, when things got difficult, when things you know, got tough, they found a different way to win. And that's okay with me. 5-0, and oh, the, over the next few weeks, that schedule is going to be tough for, for Kansas. And over this next stretch, the back end of the schedule, the first accomplishment for Kansas is getting that one more getting to six, and then everything else is gravy after that. Kansas fans would build a statue for Lance Leipold if he can go to bowl games regularly. You are one win away from that right now. Look, the rankings, college game day, all that's nice. All of that is a big deal. But the real thing, the mark of success, the big picture thing, is getting to that bowl game. And you need one more win. Okay? All the national spotlight and all that, everybody telling you you're great and all that, that's cool. But for Kansas right now, that, that number one thing is, is getting that bowl eligibility. And that should be on the minds of every KU fan right now. That should be the area of focus. Get bowl eligible and then everything else after that. And nothing's guaranteed. You know, other than that Texas Tech game, I don't see them being favored a whole lot over that uh, that stretch either. So we'll see. But certainly excited for the Jayhawks here. Get that win, and then we'll talk about everything else after that. Speaking of the uh, Jayhawks, that's where we begin with our uh, Big 12 slate this week. Kansas taking on TCU. And... You know, I know Kansas didn't put up a whole lot of points last week, but with how great their offense looked in the the previous games and how great TCU's offense looked last week against Oklahoma, and Max Duggan has something to figure out. Duggan's playing the best football of his career right now. I think this is going to be an all-out shootout in Lawrence on Saturday between these two teams. Uh, It is going to be balls to the walls, uh, a lot of points to be had between TCU and Kansas. I feel like it's going to be one of those type of games that we're looking at here. Um, I lean towards Kansas in this game. Maybe that's my bias coming in. But, you know, I I like Jalen Daniels better than I do Max Duggan. Uh, The talent on this Kansas team, the way that they can run the football and be physical with Devin Neal and, you know, Kai Thomas. Looks like uh, Highshaw is going to be out. But, you know, they, they, they have something figured out there. Uh, I think Kansas' ability to run the football is the difference in this game for me. I like Kansas' run game. I think that gives them an edge. I'm leaning towards Kansas against TCU here. Oklahoma and Texas. Red River shootout. Um, The worst Red River shootout matchup in a long time. Both teams unranked. Um, 
you know, things have, things have not gone well. But, you know, Texas has looked better than Oklahoma has. Texas loses a close game to Alabama that they should have won. And then the Texas Tech game, you're playing with a backup quarterback, and I'm not trying to make excuses for Texas, but that was a weird game that came down to the wire and could have gone either way, okay? Now you get Ewers back more than likely this week. In Oklahoma's case, you've got the doors blown off of you by TCU, and Gabriel did not play good. I mean, there was nothing good about that game for Oklahoma. And then the K-State game, K-State led that game from start to finish. K-State was the better team. So, at least in the two losses with Texas, you know, that team has, you know, competed, and they've played to the final whistle. They've had chances to win those games. In Oklahoma's case, they've just looked off. That's why Texas is favored in this game. Um, Red River is always exciting. It's always a very fun, competitive, good game. And, you know, the the old saying, the cliche, you know, you you can throw out the records, whatever. Um, Even with as much as OU has looked bad the last couple weeks. And, you know, Texas has certainly been hit by the injury bug and all that. This will still be close no matter what. I lean towards OU. Um, it's hard for me to imagine a world where Oklahoma loses three games in a row. I lean towards the Sooners, but I don't say that with a lot of confidence. Um, this one, it, I think we're still in for a treat on, on Saturday, no matter what, between these two teams. Texas Tech and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State is quietly the number seventh ranked team in the country. How? Oklahoma State is really good. Um, What I feel like we're waiting for is that Spencer Sanders letdown game, though. I feel like that's what I worry with this Oklahoma State team. You know it's coming. It's going to happen at some point. And I think if you're Oklahoma State, really you're hoping for, okay, if you're going to have the letdown game, that it's against a team like Texas Tech or something like that where you can make up for it where everyone else can pick up the loan. I mean, last year for OSU, their letdown game for Spencer Sanders was the Baylor game, the Big 12 title, at the very worst time that could have happened. Four turnovers, they lose the Big 12 championship to Baylor, came up a yard short. So let's just see. This Oklahoma State team is really good. They are the best team in the Big 12. This is Oklahoma State's league to lose right now. Can they keep it up? We'll see. Texas Tech, Joe McGuire, you're not putting the nation on notice, but you are playing much better football. And granted, Tech is 3-2, and two, but this is the first time that we've talked about Texas Tech being relevant in a minute. Um, I think Oklahoma State, if they play to their potential, they win this game by at least two scores. I think that's what we're talking about here in this type of game, that they're – they're that much better, but is it going to be the Spencer Sanders letdown game or are they going to go balls to the walls here? Let's see. K-State, Iowa State, Farmageddon. Uh, K-State at 4-1, and one, ranked 20th in the country. Iowa State 3-2. and two. Um, 
I think Adrian Martinez and that offense really figured something out, that they're on the same page now. Uh, that was a breakthrough game for Adrian Martinez against Oklahoma. I think this version of Adrian Martinez is here to stay, that Chris Kleiman and him are on the same page. Iowa State just simply has no offense. They cannot score points. I know they're the home team here, but assuming that K-State has fixed all their issues from that uh, Tulane game offensively, if this version of Adrian Martinez is going to stay here, then I don't see how Iowa State can can hang with K-State here. I like the Cats. So... There you have it. That's our look around the Big 12 Conference this week with our Big 12 breakdown here on the Jones Report. Still more to come. Luke Slayball is going to join us. We'll uh, get his thoughts on uh, the Big 12 and talk some college football with him coming up on the other side. Stay with us. Luke Slayball coming up next. Joining us now on the Jones Report this week, pleased to welcome back the host of Raw Tools on the Studio Soapbox Network. Also... Working with Valley Sports Midwest, covers Northwestern for rivals. He is uh, one of the busiest guys in uh, all of sports media these days. Luke Slaybaugh is back on the program once again. Luke, good to have you back. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. Like you just mentioned, I'm churning and turning my wheels back and forth, and maybe I'm going somewhere. Who knows? You're, uh, you're putting quite the miles on these days, right? Yeah. My Kia dealer hates me. Usually every other week, my tire is blowing out, so. That's life. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I used to drive a Kia. I remember that life. Yeah. Mm. Uh, you uh, you just got back from uh, State College, right? Yes. An incredible trip. I just mentioned it in the opening monologue of my recent episode of Raw Tools with Aaron Ferguson of Badger Extra, the Wisconsin State Journal. It was incredible. Uh, State College is in the middle of nowhere. I'm, I'm sure people know that if they haven't made the trip, but Happy Valley is a universe unto itself. And so I spent the week traversing from my home to St. Louis through Indianapolis to Pittsburgh to eventually State College in the area around that Altoona and uh, more closely Belfont, where I stayed for most of the time. Incredible part of the country. I had never been to Pennsylvania. I didn't know anything about Pennsylvania, but between Pittsburgh and then the countryside with rolling hills, you've got the Nittany Mountains, you've got woods, you've got just this beautiful rural USA type of small town feel in and around State College. I was floored. To be honest, Tyler, I feel like I was cheated out of my experience just a little bit because we got all the residual of Hurricane Ian on game day. Everything was going perfectly. The weather was amazing. And then kickoff rolls around, maybe about 30 minutes before kickoff, and it was just a downpour the entire time. So um, other than that, great game day experience. I mean, the second largest venue in America for sports. Student section was loud. Student section was passionate. Um, incredible game. And hats off to the Nittany Lions for pulling out a win over Northwestern and ascending to the top 10 teams in the country. That's great. That's uh, that's awesome to see. So I got to ask you this. Uh, you're there in uh... – in state college and everything with, uh, with how that played out, uh, with, with that scene and in that setting and everything, uh, how would you rate that venue there in happy Valley and, and everything about that compared to some of the other places you've been? 
again, I feel like I was almost cheated out of the full experience. And I don't think they were going to have a sellout or pack the place to the rafters. However, when kickoff approached, we were starting to get the feel that, yeah, the upper bowl, the overexposed areas, it's a wide open facing stadium. There's not many places to get shelter. So the people who did stick around, which I would estimate probably in the 80,000, 85,000 range, which is still impressive, all ponchos. I didn't get a poncho. I I wore a trash bag over my head for most of the game. (laughs) But uh, but other than that, uh, I've been to so many... I don't want to like toot my own horn or like, you know, raise the, raise the roof or anything, but I've been to iconic places. My barometer, or at least my, my measuring test for a stadium or a, a arena is just a couple blocks away from me at the enterprise center. That's where I grew up and learned to love sports is when the blues are playing hockey. Oh, and I've never told you my story. How much I hate that place. We'll get to that here in a second. The enterprise, oh, <laughs> you want to go to like a fucking NASCAR or monster trucks, venue event there or what uh so i went there uh, i'll just go ahead and tell this now uh i went to arch madness the uh, missouri valley tournament there uh, Ooh, okay. there you this go. was 2015 i was doing some freelance coverage and uh i caught the flu and an ear infection at that place and i have held it against st louis and the enterprise center since then so uh, my hatred, my my despise for the Enterprise Center is based on me getting very sick from that place. I had a similar experience this past year in Orlando. I got on a Frontier flight to Disney World packed with children under the age of five screaming the entire time. And by the time I left Orlando and got back to St. Louis, this was mid-May, I was wrecked with my first case of COVID ever. I had avoided it to that point, but I was dying afterwards. I get that. Oh, by the way, I should say this up front before we go any further on this interview. I am not a mouthpiece for Valley sports in particular. They always want me to put that out there up front because I say things. And if you go through the history of <laughs> our, you go through the history of our conversations dating back to 2019, and I think this is maybe the fourth time I've been on the show, the you can start to see kind of the decline in like sanity on my part and my more dropping of a filter. I just want to say up front, the views and opinions expressed in these next 20 minutes are going to not reflect my employer, but I have positive things to say about the enterprise center because I grew up there. I've I've seen it gone through four name changes. I covered the sec basketball tournament in 2018 there when Kentucky beat Tennessee in the finals. And it's actually snowed that weekend in March. It was incredible. Uh, St. Louis is kind of where I learned to love sports. But ever since then, Neyland Stadium, I think Kyle Field is the best football venue I've been to, just in terms of atmosphere, loudness, crowd dynamic. The game, too, usually has a, a part to play in it. These days, I can watch just about any team play, winning or losing. And I think you see that case in point covering a one and four Northwestern team. I, football is football for me. Um, between Neyland and Kyle Field, and I mean, OU's got a great stadium. OSU is as good for its size. You've been to Lawrence, right? <laughs> I have. And, you know, the thing that stuck out to me about the booth was the hospitality. I don't think it was the AD, but someone close to the AD like helped me 
offered like to carry my bags and stuff to get to where I needed to go. And it's, it's a small venue. And at the time, Kansas was under less miles. They were pretty booty. So it meant a lot for me to go to a place where people aren't, you know, looking down on you and checking your bag every other minute and, you know, yelling at you because there that does ruin the experience for me. That's why I feel that like Razorback Stadium, I, I never want to go there again. I've been there twice. I hated it both times because every time it, everyone was all been me like, what are you doing here? You can't do that. Blah, 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 blah. Just all, all that. Um, McLean Stadium in Waco treated media in a very similar fashion. I feel like I was going through the TSA checkpoint like 10 times over during that game. Just I feel like the- I'm that way every time I go to Norman. Really? A certain SID there. <laughs> oh, you know, is is a total dick. I never had that problem. I've never, and I don't know why, but Mike liked me a lot, and I. <laughs> and 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 it's funny you mentioned that because the only real controversy my podcast has ever gotten is when I interviewed Jeremiah Cordell. Cordell's a grad assistant on on, on the team, and I think this was before he even started work. But I was talking to him just about his life journey and getting through concussions and all that, and and, and how slid into my DMs. He was like, "Well, you can't do that." Blah blah blah. And I, I never gave him the time of day. I never responded. I, I never opened it. I just, I was like, uh, that's fun. Um, but no, OU was such a positive experience for me. Um, the uh, Bill Snyder Stadium in Manhattan was terrific. Um, I feel the same way about Sanford Stadium uh, in Georgia. And uh, yeah, the, the ones that I do, I do power rank all of these baseball stadiums I've been to as a fan. And what I've covered for for football stadiums so far, I haven't gotten into the, I haven't I haven't put um, Happy Valley in, this, in these power rankings yet, but I got Kyle Field, Neyland Stadium, Bill Snyder in my top three, okay. and um, towards the bottom, Razorback Stadium, Faroe Field at Missouri leaves a lot to be desired. Um, okay, McLean, and I guess just the atmosphere that I've gotten at at Memorial Stadium in Kansas and. Vanderbilt as well and, and Chapman Stadium they're kind of lower tier um stadiums and venues but no I've been blessed it's been really fun you mentioned McLean Stadium I'll tell you this uh I went this past week to the Oklahoma State Baylor game yes as a fan not not the media thing and uh I knew going in ahead of time they weren't going to sell beer in the stadium you know Baptist school and all that <laughs> I had accepted that ahead of time and I was trying to prepare for that ahead of time and I was thinking, well, I mean, there'll be some tailgates. I mean, surely somebody would be selling beer outside the stadium. No. Dr. Pepper. I, I could not find any beer anywhere. I, I'm like, I'm not trying to find, you know, you know, the the Jim Beam, you know, devil's cut or something here. I, I, I just want to like, you know, Bud Light or something here. I got to a point, Luke, th- this is how bad it got. Uh, I saw a tailgate where somebody had Coors Light in their ice chest, and I offered them money to buy a Coors Light <laughs> off them. They just gave, they went ahead and just gave it to me. But like, I had to be you know kind of secretive about it. Like there was, it, it is like a no alcohol campus of any kind. I'm like, I, I can't do this. You know, this is why I don't get a credential. Yeah, as me uh, and go as media is because I would like to have a good time and enjoy myself. And I should have told you that before you went down there. Waco is just gross. I think it's kind of the black eye of Texas, at least at least that I know of at this point, because everywhere else I've been in the state is top tier and is fine. But no, Waco is kind of culty. 
it's kind of gross and it's very insular. Um, the friends I had that went to Baylor didn't like it. Um, yeah, that's all I got to say about that. Okay, okay. Um, speaking of, uh, you know, uh, Happy Valley and going to State College, before we move on, yeah, get a chance to meet my guy Chuck and Jimmy. No, I did not. Um, <laughs> I, I what what was his Twitter handle? It was like at PSU fan sixty nine or something. I, was, I just uh, chugging. Uh, it was like Raider fan sixty nine. Yeah, I've got to at some point, Tyler. I've got to distance myself from the frat bro culture <laughs> that permeates I most of this network. I mentioned uh, chugging Jimmy, uh, or I mentioned Jimmy Devil's Cut earlier. There's a video out there of Chug and Jimmy, uh, friend of Chat Sports, downing a bottle of Jim Beam Devil's Cut in under 45 seconds. Hmm. No thanks. I got no way. I'm happy for him. He's a Penn State season ticket holder. I thought you guys could – it might be worth meeting. I didn't get – to do a whole lot on game day. I got there super early because I knew that this is a 106,000 person stadium. It's a conference game. I've got to get my ducks in a row, get squared away. And I didn't even, I didn't anticipate the rain that we got. So I wasn't prepared for that, but I needed to do a pregame show. I needed to get my bearings under me. And I knew that everything was going to go wrong in terms of finding the, the media entrance and setting down my stuff and working with the other photographers, which, and I don't know if this is tradition, but I was one of the first people in the photographer's room ended up sitting in like what was an assigned spot and, and all that BS that photogs go through. But, you know, it's it's state colleges and its own TV, TV market. So when you've got the AP and USA Today, it's coming from Altoona. It's coming from the surrounding areas. And they just like walked through an oral history of the Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky thing. Unprompted, like just started like shooting the breeze about it and going through like everything that happened in 2012. And I remember where I was when it happened, and I remember learning about it because I, I think I was in high school or maybe first year in college. And I, I, I just, I, I, no one talked to me. I, they just started going through all this stuff of like, oh, I went here and we was trying to get the the perp walk and blah 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 blah. It's like Jesus, really? Like ten years later, we're talking about this? And I just, I. It's it's a shame. It's 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 horrible and tragic thing to talk about. And I was just stunned. I was like, I just want to put my head down and, and work. Yeah, I don't blame you. Uh, one more thing before we actually talk about the business of the day. Uh, I mean, you and I get to just go on tangents for hours, probably. Um, are you like me and getting annoyed? I, I know that he broke the record finally, but were you getting annoyed trying to watch college football and Aaron Judge's home run count coming on? Two things. Two things. I got about 10 minutes. Second, um, no, I, I was not annoyed. And here's why. Every single time Missouri or Auburn was lining up to punt or starting a new drive, when, when they started these cut-ins, I laughed so much. I was like, this is, this is so much, like, this is how much ESPN wants to elevate its product. You got SEC football what any other network would kill for, what CBS <laughs> killed itself for for so long. Like this is your prime product that, that you want to put out there. Everyone wants a piece of this pie, but no, we're going to splice in Aaron Judge going after a, 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 a home run number that ultimately is inconsequential. I think it's great. I'm a baseball head. By the same token, I understand exactly the rationale of why they did it. This is the first time in a long time 
that the worldwide leader has something on the eastern seaboard that it's able to push and get at the forefront of its coverage. Knicks ain't doing much. Um, yeah, um, the Jets, the Giants, not a whole lot. The Nets, out of here with that. So if they're going to cut in and show something, I feel like this is a move that they would have done you know, 20 years ago and, and would still do today and would do it 20 years from now. Man, I like I was I I was even trying to watch Houston Tulane and they're cutting in from that to show me this home run chase, which I do not give a damn about. Barry Bonds has the record as far as I'm concerned. That's the real record. Um, he's not close to that record. And you're gonna break away from that. And, and it would have been one thing if they would have kept the sound on. The, the football game, but the fact that they – I had to listen to Michael Kay and all that, like, to, to me, if – wasn't that what the MLB network was created for, for those cut-ins and everything? If I wanted to see that when I watched the Yankee game or watched the MLB network? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a, it's a scratch, head-scratching incident, and I think it also plays towards the, the cord cutters who, who don't want to pay for MLB network. I certainly don't. Um, no, Michael Kay's calls – we're both bad. I, I, I don't, I know that Yankees fans will, you know, Oh, it's so great. But there've been a couple instances this season where the games went national. And I was like, I'm kind of happy that, that the, that, that someone's not talking wall to wall when someone trots around the, the bases. I mean, we don't talk about radio broadcasting and nuances of TV. That's a discussion for another time. I'd, I'd book an hour to talk about that. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, let me ask you this. Uh, I know that you have a, a few distance from this, but I'm sure you're keeping tabs. Uh, OU, the way that they've gone things, the way things have gone south at Norman here, what's, uh, what's your thoughts on uh, how things have gone for uh, Brent Venables here? It's to be expected. Uh, I think that the rational national analysts before the season anticipated that there was so much to replace from the formula that had been working for the Sooners. And granted, I'm a couple years removed from this program. Everyone besides my boy, Mike Houck is pretty much not involved at this point. Mm. Maybe, maybe some younger, you know, freshmen and all that, but really um, they had to draw so much from the transfer portal and overhaul, excuse me, a lot of the staff. I, I anticipated maybe four losses, maybe five. I mean, it's not out of character for a rebuilding team to take a step back. They, they had to retool. Everyone really rode the high horse, especially after Nebraska, that, oh, the culture was changed. They're so tough. They're going to take the conference by storm. They're going to walk seamlessly into the SEC. And that's just not how it works. There's, there, there are going to be bumps in the road and adjustments to be made. And I'm glad that OU took the time to focus on its change of leadership as it eventually walks into a new conference. They have who they believe is the right leader of men in place. They think they have the right culture. It's just going to take some time to really establish the vision that they want. And this is not unlike, you know, any other power program that makes a change. Whoever eventually takes over for Kirby Smart in Georgia, for example, whenever that day comes, there's going to be a step back. So I wouldn't panic, but yeah, it's a down year. I'll say this. The thing that, that caught my thing as far as the, the point where I had hit the pause button, Luke, was that you lose, you get blown out by a TCU team who also is rebuilding. 
who has a new head coach in Sonny Dykes, who a program that has not been good the last few years, the way finished under uh, Gary Patterson. So with that, like, you know, to me, that that's not an excuse, right? I mean, of, of what went down this weekend, the way that they played. I mean, TCU, I thought going into this weekend was even in worse shape than OU was. Yeah, it's hard to make heads or tails of that. The explosive plays definitely leave a lot of questions at your head, but we've we've been down this road before, and very recently. My first year covering OU, the defense was, you know, sashimi. It was awful, and and the year before that, it was even worse when they had to get rid of Mike Stoops. So, um, yeah, it's. I think I've got my ears right on that. I I don't. I don't think it's cause for panic, but. Again, you have such a, a storied tradition there, such a bar to live up to that they have the right person in place. But it is it is concerning. And with Gabriel questionable as of the recording of this podcast, that leaves a whole other can of worms. It's going to be a, a rough season and they might lose Red River and they probably put themselves behind the eight ball in terms of competing for anything really meaningful this season. But uh, it's just it's it's step one. I would really selfishly like to see General Booty get the call. <laughs> yes, you would. Raiders fan sixty nine. I got five minutes, Tyler. <laughs> okay, five minutes here. Uh, with that said, uh, Oklahoma State uh, are they the best team in the conference right now? You think? Right now, yes. Your Jayhawks are coming in hot, and there's something to be said about the way Kansas state has been coached and the way that they play. I kind of found myself agreeing with Stuart Mandel when he put out his big 12 projections and he got roasted because he had K state and Baylor in the title game. Uh, That is very close to happening. So yeah, I'd say Oklahoma state, but you know, probably a one B and a one C in KU and uh, K state. Yeah. Um, Spencer Sanders for me is an interesting, you know, project, right? I mean, here it is, year four. It feels like that he's played a lot better, but at, at some point you're going to get that Spencer Sanders game, right, where everything goes wrong and everyone else has to rally. That's what that's what I feel like I'm waiting for watching this Oklahoma State team work. And he's going to blame the media too. I I, I, I haven't I haven't. Oh, spoken- your fault, Luke. I haven't spoken to Spencer Sanders in maybe two years, but if, if he's the same person or anywhere similar, then I'm going to keep the rest of that to myself, but you're right. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of the OSUMO. And I, I always dug at them for it. Even when I was working in Tulsa, it's like, there's going to be that one loss where everyone's pointing at each other be like, how the hell? Um, I think the, the Baylor game in 2019 was that game. And then in 20, I don't even remember. They, they, yeah, it's fine. It'll be fine. Yeah. Go it, folks. It all worked out. Uh, you mentioned Kansas uh, real quick. Game day coming there. You've been to Lawrence before. Yeah. Um, unfamiliar territory. I mean, it, 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 isn't this the best story in college football right now? They are. I rue the day when I would prefer to watch KU over my alma mater, the University <laughs> of Missouri. And sadly, that's where we're at. Um, ask me my thoughts about the Tigers some other time. Yeah, there's something to be said about Coach Leipold and the, the integrity 
that the man seemingly has, where he has said multiple times on the record, I didn't come here to leave. Like if, if we're working at Kansas, like we're going to get the job done at Kansas, however far we can take it. And, and then we'll talk. I think that's incredibly admirable. I feel like it's like the antithesis of Lincoln Riley. It's like a, you know, Lincoln was always like, oh, we're close. We're so close. Like we're getting there. And then he leaves to go to LA and uh, Leipold is middle of nowhere, Kansas and not middle of nowhere, but I, I love, I love the campus. I think the stadium is fine. I think the program is, it, it, it has earned what it deserves to this point, even if they, you know, go eight and four or something like there's, there's going to be, this isn't like a CFP contending team yet, but it's not far. And that's really, it's really exciting. The way they stuck it to Duke. I watched that Duke team manhandled Northwestern a couple weeks prior. And I thought, I mean, if you give them an inch on defense, like you, you will pay for it. And the Jayhawks stood the stood up to the challenge. Before we go, last question, because uh, I know you're going to run. What yeah. is on season two of uh, Raw Tools? Uh, you already got some good stuff cooking up, right? <laughs> yeah, I I, I want to introduce some more regular segments. I've been talking to some people that are more than happy to, to fill in content and bring in some content. And it's going to be more hodgepodge and more unroutine than I thought. I, I wanted to do every Tuesday, and there have just been some weeks this one in particular when i'm driving back from pennsylvania and dragging my heels on a monday be like this just this isn't happening so i've tried to i've tried to make the best of what i can but it's really just reaching into the rolodex at this point i mean i've got so much cooking and so much going for me right now that i'm going to get it to 50 episodes and after that we'll see but hopefully in my work either in the Midwest between St. Louis and Chicago and Indianapolis and Kansas city and everywhere in between, we'll, we'll run into some people. We'll, we'll have some good guests and we'll just talk about life there. I mean, there are some sports kind of the, the daily headlines and stuff. It, it, it appeals to me, but only when I've got things to say, I feel like the most fulfilling times that I've gotten to speak have been when I am drawing from experience. Like I could talk about happy Valley for 10, 20 minutes. And I did. And it was, it was great. So it's a little bit autobiographical. It's a little bit ascending to the regional sports network, you know, talent pool journey, I guess. And it's, it's, it's going to be a lot of bumps uh, and a lot of highs and lows this last, I mean, I don't remember the last time I spoke on this podcast, but I think it was about a year ago. And I, there's been so much that's happened since then. A lot of opportunities that didn't come through. Um, to the point where I can't even like watch certain NFL teams and be like, oh, you, you, you dumbasses. Like those, those types of situations that I'm just working hard to get better. Look, I love it. You uh, are always welcome on the show anytime, my friend. We'll uh, be talking again down the line. Check out Raw Tools with uh, Luke Slayball on the Studio Soapbox Network, wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Luke at Luke Slayball. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for joining us, Luke. Thank you. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, ohgcast.com, o'connoradvisorygroup.com. You can reach out to Bo by phone as well. And uh, Bo is available at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. You can also check out the Coach Bo Knows podcast out each and every Monday and Friday. Bo joins us right now. Bo, how are we doing? 
doing all right, man. Trying to keep it moving. You know, it's been one of those weeks. Trying to get everything going with two podcasts and everything else. It's been kind of a uh, get it all done kind of thing. We're like Larry the Cable Guy over here right now. Get her done. Get her done. Yes. <laughs> uh, let's uh, go over the uh, pick standings here. You bet. Oh, you are top dog. 25, 28, 21, and 1. I'm two games back at 26, 23, and 1. And then Tom's at 25, 24, and 1 are the uh, picks this uh, this week. And the uh, pick slate of games that we have for you, uh, let's go over those uh, real quick, what the uh, slate of games are this week. It is uh, – this is a tough week, uh, I'll be honest, when it comes to uh, these games to pick. And uh, – on the college side, we have number eight, Tennessee, versus number 25, LSU. Tennessee favored by three. Number 11, Utah. Number 18, UCLA. Utah favored by four and a half. Number 17, TCU taking on number 19, Kansas. And TCU favored by seven. In Vegas, 16, BYU taking on Notre Dame. Notre Dame favored by three and a half. Here in Dallas, it's the Red River Shootout, Texas and Oklahoma. The Longhorns favored by seven. Colorado, or not Colorado, the Cowboys, might as well be Colorado. <laughs> the Cowboys taking on the Rams. Rams favored by five and a half. Uh, Dak expected to be back and play this weekend. Giants and Packers in London. Uh, the Packers favored by eight. Bengals and Ravens. Ravens favored by three. Colts and Broncos. Broncos favored by three. Chargers and Browns. Chargers favored by three. So, that is the slate of games this week. Bo, without further ado, let's go ahead and get started with uh, Tennessee and LSU. Tennessee favored by three. Okay, so this is Homer for me. You know this going in. You knew who I was picking as soon as you put this in the slate. Um, no explanation needed. I'm taking the Tigers at home. Uh, I just cannot not take LSU just the way it works. Uh, I do think Tennessee's a better team right now. And it will not be the huge Death Valley experience. The 11 a.m. game's a different animal in Baton Rouge. Uh, so it'll be bacon and bourbon, but we'll see if they can get it going. LSU's looked better each of the last two weeks, but Tennessee has too. Could be a little bit of a look-pass game for Tennessee, but I'll take LSU plus the three straight-up homer pick. There you go. All right. Uh, so you're going with Tennessee. I'm going with Tennessee. Or you're no, no, going I'm going LSU. You're going to LSU. I'm going with Tennessee. Tom's going with Tennessee. This is the best Tennessee team in a long time. Josh Heifel's doing a really good job. That offense is prolific. Um, if it was a night game in Death Valley, I'd probably be taking LSU, but it's not. I'll go with a Tennessee here. Uh, next game on the slate here, Utah and UCLA. Utah favored by four and a half. Bo, two completely different teams. You have a Utah team that is very physical, and a UCLA you know, Chip Kelly team that's pretty finesse and will spread you out. Utah favored by four and a half going to the very tough environment of the Rose Bowl in front of uh, tens of people. Tens of people are going to watch a very, very high-scoring game. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the over. I don't even know what the number is. Um, I have not been on UCLA all season. I have actually bet against them twice this year, um, one and one in those games. But um, I'm going to take – UCLA plus the four and a half, just because this is going to be high scoring. I could see four and a half being enough to cover it. I think Utah's a better team. The more physical team tends to win. 
But I think UCLA, they've really taken that whole Chip Kelly approach to what they can do in offense. Going to score points. So will Utah. It could be whoever has the ball last wins. I'll take UCLA plus four and a half. I'm going to go with Utah here. Uh, Bo, I'm going to go with Utah. Tom's going to go with Utah as well. Um, I like the I like the physical team here. Uh, UCLA, I'm not uh, sold on at this point in time. I'll go with uh, Utah to get it done. Kansas taking on TCU uh, there in Lawrence where you're at, Bo. And a TCU, a seven-point favorite. The disrespect from Vegas to my beloved Jayhawks. KU has covered their last nine games in a row. You know I'm going with Kansas. Tom's going with Kansas. Bo, you're taking KU, right? I'm taking Kansas. Yep. Uh, I saw when this game came out, it was five. And I saw its move from five to seven. A lot of money has gone on TCU, and and rightfully so. They've put up some points. They looked impressive last week. Uh, and Kansas didn't score a lot of points, but won their game. The defense stepped up. I, I think that the Kansas crowd's going to jump in there and help. I, who would have thought that? And I think Kansas gets it done against TCU. Okay. Who would have thought? Look it up. Yeah, for shit. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, Bo, uh, we, we all agree on a Kansas. What about this BYU-Notre Dame game? Uh, they're in Las Vegas. BYU's ranked. You know, they had that nice win against uh, Baylor a couple weeks ago, but Notre Dame is favored by three and a half. What do you think here? Yeah, BYU's been good. They had the one loss against Oregon where they just got behind and got drummed. Uh, and when they lost that game, they got down early. They were missing a lot of guys not- that game, too. Was that – they were missing a lot of guys that game. Yeah, they were. And they got down early in that game. They just couldn't get out of the hole. Notre Dame's offense is not going to do it to anybody. Notre Dame's a solid team. They play really good defense. But I like BYU here. I'll take three and a half. Close game. I think BYU can win it as well. Um, if I had to, if I had to, I might take BYU on the money line. But uh, I, I like BYU. The funniest thing to me was – I saw the commercial for this game. I think it was during Sunday Night Football. Yeah. You're in the pregame, and they showed, you know, BYU, Notre Dame, and then it says in Las Vegas. And do you think of two schools that are any more or less on brand for a, a, a game in Las Vegas than BYU and Notre Dame? Right. I mean, come on, man. It just that that's that doesn't have loss. Now, if you tell me they're gonna have a non-con game between, you know. Miami, uh, Miami, and, and USC. And, yeah, you, yeah, or Texas, and you know, Texas and OU go play in Las Vegas. I can see that. I can see just some wild shit going on. BYU and Notre Dame in Las Vegas. They're not going to the casino tables after the game. Uh, no, that's that's not happening. <laughs> um, I, I'll, I'll say this much. Uh, you know, th- this game is a sneaky good football game. Uh, I'm intrigued to, to watch it, how it plays out. Um, you know, two two religious institutions meeting in Vegas. Uh, I'll, I'll add this much to that, too. You know, Vegas, of course, the home of the Raiders. I would bet money 
there's not much crossover between Raider and BYU fans and Raider and Notre Dame fans. No, I don't think that Raider fans that are coming down from Oakland, you know, the old school guys coming down from Oakland are staying this weekend for that. No, no. yeah, it's um, pretty silly stuff there. Yeah, they're, they're getting out of town. Uh, I don't think Raider Nation's lined up for the Notre Dame BYU. Right? <laughs> no. Raider Nation could not care less. I'll go with uh, with BYU in uh, this game. There's only one nation. That's Raider Nation. Um, OU Texas, probably the most least interesting OU Texas game in a while. Both teams unranked. Both teams with two losses. Texas favored by seven. Dylan Gabriel is questionable. Uh, OU starting quarterback. Bo, uh, what do you think of uh, this matchup that uh, we have on our hands here? Quinn Ewers could be back for the Horns as well. I never get this game right. Never. And you know why I never get this game right? Because I almost always pick Oklahoma. I think Texas is getting Quinn Ewers Ewers back. They've played really hard and really good in a couple of games this year. Oklahoma's looked bad in the last two games. The games they have want to be less than stellar competition. I'm going to take Texas, and I'm going to take them to cover. And I have nothing in my brain to believe this is going to actually happen more than just my simple math of I never picked this game right. But I'm damn it, I'm going to take Texas this year because I always do take Oklahoma. I always think Oklahoma's the better team, and Texas gives them a game. Or Texas beats them. Right. This year, I'm just going to take Texas. Seven I mean, points be- for Texas. It's I a lot of points. It's too much for me. I very well could see Texas winning this game. But this game is always great. It seems like it comes down to the last possession and is, you know, a field goal difference or whatever down the stretch. I'm going with OU uh, to cover. But I still think even with both teams down right now, that's going to be a good football game. Cowboys and Rams in L.A., Dak supposed to be back. The Rams aren't looking too good. They're favored by five and a half. What do you think here, Bo? Um, You know, last week there was two games that I was like, this is ridiculous. One, but the Chiefs should have been a huge – should have been a favorite against the Bucs. The other one was I thought the Rams should have been a favorite against the 49ers. I watched every moment of that Rams 49ers game. And I don't know if it's the mental block against the 49ers, but I don't think it is. The Rams offense is in serious trouble. Stafford's played bad. They can't run the football. I'm going to take the Cowboys plus five and a half. Hurts me to say it, but I'm going to take the Cowboys. And I'll tell you what else. If Dak Prescott's playing, they can win the game. This Rams offense is bad. And this Rams, this Rams offense need Odell Beckham back as quickly as they can get him back. So you, uh, you're not one of these people saying uh, Cooper Rush over Dak. No, no, I would. <laughs> you know what? My pod, Uncle Rico said on my podcast, and I was like, "Dude, don't be the guy who falls the gimmick for yeah, the backup come quarterback. On. The most popular guy on every roster is the backup quarterback. Look, he's done his job. He's done better than we all thought he would. Oh yeah." And great, but no, you hand the ball to Dak Prescott and say, let's go. And Dak Prescott's a great quarterback. I mean, yeah. Give me Dak. Give me the the Cowboys here. 
I can't believe I'm doing that because I hate the Cowboys, but I don't I'm just not impressed with the Rams right now. I'm not impressed with the Rams right now either, but the Rams are desperate and the Cowboys need a coming to earth. And I feel like, Bo, <laughs> you want to talk about this quarterback controversy. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I say that in, in air quotes. I mean, cheat, yeah. Um, I would love to see Dak go in there, not play great, and lose. And then everybody goes, uh-huh. you know, here we go. Yeah. You know, I mean, let's, let's go for it. I'm going with the Rams to cover. Uh, to win and cover. Tom's going with the Rams as well, his team, as you can imagine, uh, to cover the five and a half. Giants and Packers at London. Packers are favored by eight. Both the, the Giants are three and one, but this is a bad three and one team. I mean, eventually they're going to come back down to earth, right? I think so. But as bad as I think the Giants are, I don't think the Packers can beat anybody by eight right now. Yeah, I mean the Packers have not been good. Um, I mean they've they've played every game has the, the three wins. They beat the Bears up pretty good, but they barely beat the Bucks. They barely beat the Patriots. They looked bad in both games. Horrible looking. They look terrible. You got to go over to London. You know, it's 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 kind of even. It's an evening situation for me. That's a lot of points. Give me the Giants plus eight. Against the Packers, I'll until the you, Packers actually beat somebody by eight, then I don't. I won't think that. I think the Giants mm-hmm. are a fraud. Uh, Rogers makes a statement overseas. I'll take a Green Bay to uh, win and cover that eight point margin. Mm-hmm. Bengals and Ravens, both both teams are two and two, division battle, Sunday night football. Both pretty desperate at this point in time. Two of the best young quarterbacks in the league, Burrow and Lamar. With the Ravens favored by three, what do you think here? Um, I like the Bengals here. Um, I think Burrow's back. You know, we had a hit a couple of rough games in the beginning. Uh, I think coming off to have an extra three days off as well, coming off of last week's Thursday game, kind of get a little bit healthier. Baltimore is a really, I don't know if they have a really great quarterback game that we've seen on a Sunday night recently, but I'm going to take Joe Burrow. I'm going to take the Bengals. And go from there. I'm going with the Ravens here. Uh, I think the the Ravens are a better team than the Bengals right now. Uh, home field, you know, the, the, the main thing with, with me, I, I see, Bo, I know that you've complained about Zach Taylor and that Bengals coaching staff. John Harbaugh, Greg Roman, Mike McDonald, that Ravens staff has got in their own way. I mean, they've made some boneheaded decisions. And yeah. for me – if if their coaching staff can just get out of the way, the Ravens win this game and they're the better team. Um, but we'll see. They've lost five straight home games dating back to last year. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, uh, I just think that right now the, the Bengals seem to be a team that, again, I liked what I saw last week, a little more moxie in them. Now, saying that, the Ravens absolutely can win this game. And Lamar by himself can keep, him, can keep them in the game. He's yeah. playing MVP level. Tom's going with the uh, Ravens as well. Colts and Broncos. Broncos favored by three on Thursday night football. Bo, this feels like a must must win game for both teams. It does. This is these are two bad teams right now. Yeah. And 
There is nothing that I've seen from Denver that I've liked. Nothing. On Indy side, I like the quarterback. But I like the running back. And if I like going the road and win. They had, and that's that's big time win. Yeah, if you're going to go on the road and you're going to win, run the football. I'll take Indy plus the three. I, I just I don't like this game. I, I'll watch it Thursday night, kind of begrudgingly, because I'll have nothing else to do. But uh, yeah, I I'm not looking forward to this game whatsoever. <laughs> There's nothing about this game that I'm going to go, ooh, I got to see this. Jonathan Taylor's nice. The rest of these two teams suck. So if if, if somebody calls you and wants to hang out with Bo, he's not – if he, if he says no, it's not because he's watching Thursday Night Football. It's because he's got something better that's still than your idea for hanging out. Yeah, something's going on then. I haven't made any plans yet, but who knows what will happen soon. I'll go with uh, – with Indy here as well, uh, the way they run the football, more physical team. Frank Wright doesn't look like that great of a coach, but he looks a lot more competent than Nathaniel Hackett anyway. Oh. Uh, the thing, we can talk all day about that one. I've gone off on my pod twice about him already. I'll go Indy. Tom goes Denver here. Last game. Chargers and Browns. Chargers are three-point favorites on the road here. Bo, um, the Chargers, I think, are going to be a mess until Herbert fully recovers. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I think that and when I went back and look, I mean, he went 27 to 39 this past week, 340, two touchdowns. And and they, the, the Chargers tried to run the ball a little bit. Eckler had 13 carries. I just look at it and I go, man, run the ball. I mean, they ran the ball 27 times in that game. Four of those were Herbert. Protect Herbert. Don't allow him to run the ball. Don't allow him to take too many hits. The Chargers are a better team, but they're going to be in flux until they get Herbert 100% healthy. And they've also got their big injury on the defensive side. So, you know, I just – but they're a better team. I'm into the Chargers here, but I just wouldn't be surprised – to see the Browns win. There you go. That's uh, our picks this week. I'm going with uh, Chargers. Bo, uh, you took the Chargers. And uh, Tom's going with the Chargers as well. But we'll see what happens. All right, Bo. So that was the picks for this week. So I want to start out now with uh, breaking down some headlines of some different things around the NFL and college football balls. Let's start. On the NFL side, uh, Tua last week on uh, Thursday Night Football, that was an ugly scene there. Uh, really? It really just took the life out of the stadium of uh, when he suffered that concussion and, um, you know, the situation leading up to it, obviously, that Sunday, he took a really bad hit and he was stumbling afterwards and the doctors still cleared him to play and said that he passed protocols and all that. And, you know, they claimed it was more of a back issue and all that. Later, you know, the Dolphins end up firing their medical staff and all that. Bo, I, I think two things can be true here. Hear me out on this. I think that, you know, Tua and Mike McDaniel could have done everything right. Mike McDaniel's not the doctor. 
It's not his decision, you know, of, of if a doctor medically clears him to say, yeah, we're not going to play you. You know, he, he would, he would get ridiculed if he was still playing a guy that was medically cleared and two as a competitor, you know, wants to get out there as much as possible. I think that can be true. And you can still say that that medical staff was incompetent. They made the wrong decision. I, I don't think that I don't hold anything against Mike McDaniel for what happened there. I think that falls all on that med- medical staff in Miami. What say you? Well, I, I think that the medical staff in, the, in Miami is certainly to blame. The NFL is certainly to blame. You know, they have their independent person who is on the sideline, and that's actually who was fired, was the NFL's person on the sideline. And then I think that it when it comes to the coach, what information was he given? I think that that's still what we're kind of unclear about. If he was told on Sunday, you know, that um, this injury is a back injury and he can continue, well, then that's what he knows. But if he was told at any point it was a concussion, and I do think that you have to not let the player make that decision in a way when it's when, it's, when you know it's a concussion. I mean, it's a competitive situation. Right. My biggest problem with it is that we have a player who, gets, who clearly got a concussion on Sunday. And if you put that player into the protocol, there is zero chance that person is getting cleared by Thursday. And the shortened week played into that. Now, when you didn't put him in the concussion protocol, that tells me that there's something bigger to it. That's the doctors. That's the NFL. I don't know where what the coaches, what Coach McDaniel knew, what he didn't know. I'm willing to give him somewhat of a benefit of the doubt. But where I'm not willing to give a benefit of the doubt right now is the league and the, the, the medical staffs right now. It was a bad deal. Tua probably should not have played on Thursday. I mean, if he was in protocol at all, he can't be clear by Thursday. It's just not possible that he's ready to go on the fourth day after a concussion. And the thing I feel bad about for Tua is that the hit was clean. What happened in the, in the game Thursday night was a perfectly understandable thing that happens in the league. And that's why there are protocols. And that's why the, the, the medical people have to make the hard decisions, not the football people. Right. That bothers me. It bothers me that in – I saw, I think it was Christopher Nowinski, who is the uh, head of one of the concussion protocols. He works with all the leagues yeah. and in the UFC and a few other places as well. And he, his tweak he had on Friday was pretty damning. It was, Tua shouldn't play again this season, and he should never play for the Dolphins again. Right. Now, the thing I feel bad about for Tua is that if he was not given all the information, then Tua decides he's going to play. He's not given all the information. And then he's going out there, what essentially is a contract year for Tua, and he's putting it on the line. Yeah. And, you know, what are you going to do if you're Tua? You're going to go because his future with that franchise is in doubt. 
And that having an injury is just as damning as playing bad in his case. So my heart is with Tua. I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's right. We don't know what information was given to the player and the coach. But I will say I've also not been happy with what I've seen since. I think he was very dismissive the way that the team said, well, McDaniel and Tua were sitting together on the flight back to Miami, and Tua was laughing and watching a movie and yada, yada. Um, That's totally inappropriate to talk about. It it should have been we're worried about our quarterback. We're going to make the appropriate decisions as the medical staff gets clear, and we're going to move forward from there. They've gone ahead and said he's not playing this week. I saw that. And, frankly, he shouldn't play. And the bad thing for Tua is that he can't put his foot down and say, hey, this staff screwed me over, and I don't want to play for this organization. Because he's been treated pretty poorly there across the board. And this is another example of it. But he's got no – he has nothing he can do in this case. He's going to have to play as soon as he's cleared to play. And I don't disagree with the idea that he should never play for the Miami Dolphins again, not the way he's been treated this season. Yeah. And it it continues. The fact that they still are doing the, you know, two of this, you know, he's on the plane, that that really bothers me. Come out and say it's a medical issue. We're working on it. He's doing. He's improving. He's improved drastically. If you want to say something like that, and then move on, and say we'll see how he goes on a week to week basis. If I was Tua, I wouldn't play. I wouldn't play till I was a hundred percent certain that I'm ready to play for myself. Right. And, and I don't know that he has. I don't know that he has that that capability. Well, and when you're concussed, I mean. You're not in the right state of mind, you know. I mean, it's you don't know when you're 100 percent necessarily, you know. So it's a it's a scary situation. It's a sad ordeal, and it's the nature of the beast. It's where things are at. It's unfortunate. And I hate it for Tua Tagovailoa. Yeah. I'm rooting for him. We've we've been talking about him all season. With all the stuff that's happened in the off season, I've been rooting for that guy. He plays hard. He does things the right way. And this is the damn shame. Real quick. Uh, we'll move on. As far as the Dolphins go, they started out 3-0 and before this, and we're playing really good football. Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, I mean, that offense looked explosive. Now you go to Teddy Bridgewater. Skyler Thompson's your backup behind Bridgewater. Um, depending on when Tua comes back, and, you know, they did beat the Bills and everything, is that team uh, legit? What do you think of the, uh, the Dolphins? I- I think Dolphins are legit. Um, I just think there's so many weapons on that team. Teddy Bridgewater is very capable in keeping that team afloat. I also had looked at their schedule. At one point, I haven't seen it. I need to refresh it, my memory. But their schedule also seemed pretty favorable. I mean, they've got games coming up with the Jets and the Steelers and the Lions and the Bears and the Browns and the Texans. Oh, That's over the next few weeks. You know, Teddy Bridgewater in that offense is fully capable of doing enough to help you win. I think it's a talented team. I think they're one of the 
I still think there's two teams that are the class of the AFC, but I think the Dolphins are one step below, which is not an insult. I mean, they're probably the third or fourth best team in the AFC still, if you ask me. I just, uh, you know, I think that they ran into some bad luck last week with the Tua thing. And then I think that the Bengals played well down the stretch in that game too. But I do think that Teddy Bridgewater is capable to get them to get the Dolphins enough wins in the next six weeks if it was to extend that far out. Yeah. Uh, Tom Brady, uh, you know, off to a two-and-two start there in Tampa Bay, but that's obviously not the story this week as uh, he and his wife, Giselle, have hired uh, divorce lawyers, and it looks like those two are probably going their separate ways. And, uh Bo, what, what what do you think of this? Like, do you, do, does this turn into a a more inspired Tom Brady? Does he play with a chip on his shoulder? Does he play longer here? Um, of what we know and what we know of Tom Brady, what do you think this all means for Tom on the football field? I, I think it's going to be a distraction. And first off, I hope for his sake, for his family, they stay together. If they don't, that's their decision. I think we should respect their privacy when it comes to stuff like that. Uh, we don't know what happens between the between behind closed doors between a married couple. That's between them. And I do think that Brady seems distracted. I also, frankly, just think that Tom Brady looks old. They're not going to win games when he's throwing the ball 58, 52 times like he did last week. Yeah. That team is – that team needs to be running the football. And I know that, you know, last year people said you were one of them. We because we, we not you and I argued in the offseason about this. I said I thought Tom Brady was washed up the second half of the season last year. I didn't think he looked good. And they were like, well, he did this all these numbers and could have won the MVP. And it's like, yeah, the numbers were there, but he didn't look great. That arm isn't the same. He can still get rid of the ball fast. And he can still what he does better than anybody in the league, and this is what the Bucks absolutely need to focus on, is let him move the motions around the board with the offense to open up the run game. He is so good at that. He has been good at that his entire career. Finding the matchup, and it's not just the matchup of, let me find the one-on-one guy for the receivers and the tight end. It's sometimes moving somebody somewhere to make the defensive player move to hit a hole. Brady does that better than anybody in the league, and that, when you have Leonard Fournette, could be the difference between them being between the Bucks being a. They'll win that division. That division's bad. They're going to win that division, but the difference between winning the division winner and really having a shot at going to the Super Bowl. It's going to have to lean on the run game. It can't be Tom Brady throwing the ball 40-plus times, 50-plus times like he did on Saturday on Sunday night. That was pathetic. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, but this version of Tom Brady, I'll take over the version of Peyton Manning and Drew Brees that we saw at the end of their careers. Like, I, I think that Tom, does he look his best? No. But I don't think Tom is playing that bad either. I think his arm is shot. I it don't may think be, he, but I mean he's never had a great arm. And, and you want to compare it to Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning had a neck injury at the end of his career. 
Right. Now, Brady's older, and so you can see those even out. Look, the fact that Tom Brady at there at 44 years old says a lot about who he is. 45, no yeah. Doubt, no doubt. And he's a much better player at 44 than Drew Brees was his last couple seasons, or Peyton Manning was his last season. Right. But, man, I, I'd be worried about Tom Brady's health. Now, the big thing is he gets rid of the ball amazingly fast. He and Dan Marino are the two I've ever seen get rid of the ball as fast as they do. And that helps him take less hits. But he's going to have to continue to do that, and they're going to have to run the ball. If yeah. they do that, Tom Brady's good enough to, to use Mike Evans, to use Russell Gage and a couple of other Godwin and a couple of the other guys that put him in the right spots to make plays. I'm not saying that can't happen. He can still be a very capable quarterback, especially in the league right now. But how many really good quarterbacks are there? This season right. we have seen great quarterback play across the board. Yeah. No one's really been consistent outside of two or three guys. So, I mean, there's still some upside, but that upside has to start for the Bucs with the run game. From there, if they run the ball, they'll be fine but they're going to have to run the ball successfully and they're going to have to not make it the Tom Brady show in order for them to go deep into the playoffs. What helps them also is there is no dominant team in the NFC. Mm -hmm. Not a single one. I mean, the Eagles are the best team in the NFC in my view right now. And could they be beaten? Yes. Uh, let me ask you about one more quarterback uh, situation in the NFL. Then we'll talk college football here. Uh, Geno Smith wins NFC Offensive Player of the Week. He's yeah. leading the NFL in completion percentage. He's in the top six in every passing category right now. Geno's playing really good through four weeks. And the guy that he sat behind, Russell Wilson, is not looking too hot. Things are going well in Denver. You know, Bo, I'll say this. No one is ever going to take – you know, Geno Smith over Russell Wilson. No. But what I'm starting starting to be convinced of is that the Seahawks really won that trade. With all they were able to get in return, now as much as Denver has to pay Russell Wilson as well, and Seattle still gets a shot later to figure out their franchise quarterback and get to enjoy the cheap contract of Geno now and then a rookie contract after that, um, if, I, if I'm Seattle, I, I think you got to be feeling pretty good about how, you know, hindsight being 20, 2020, how this is looking right now. Yeah. How that worked itself out for Seattle's been great. And they lived on the, um, what was the Belichick rule of it's better to give a player up a year early than a year late. Yeah. I think a lot of, I mean, there's other issues with Russell Wilson. I think Geno has been very capable. I think he was capable when he was put in in other spots before for a sliver of a game here and a sliver of a game there. He's played very well for the Seahawks, done what they needed to do. They're not a great team, but they've already won two games that really a lot of people thought this team might win three or four in a whole season. I mean, there's a team I know you and I talked about. We thought this might be a team going for the number one pick in the draft. Yeah. Because, largely because of that quarterback situation. Gino had the big game the first week where he absolutely outplayed Russ in every single way. 
but he's played solid weeks two, three, and four. He's a solid guy. You're right in that he's no one's ever going to say, give me Geno Smith and screw Russell Wilson. I just think that right now, the way these two happen to be fitting, it's just working that way. And I think it goes also back to same thing with the Bucks. You're not asking Geno Smith to do a whole lot. Yeah, his completion percentage is 77%, but he's not taking long bombs down the stem. That's just not who he is. And they run the football. I mean, Rashard Penny's got 300 yards rushing in four games. You know, you got a, I got oh, another half a dozen guys with rushes. I mean, when I'm looking at that now, it's like, okay, you know, there's some capabilities there. How do you do that when you got a young quarterback run the football? How do you do it when you got an older quarterback run the football? If you got a quarterback you're not quite sure of, run the football. Yeah. You can do that. Keep yourself in game. Shortens games. You don't make a lot of mistakes when you're in the football. Yeah. We, did, we were talking about on my podcast last week, week three, in every game but one, the team that ran the ball for the most yards won the game. And in week four, I haven't checked the stats yet, but that was another situation. Run the ball. Run the ball. It's so underrated. Yeah, you're right about that. Uh, you're in Lawrence. It's a big week. Kyle's game day coming to town. Yeah. Head-to-head top 25 matchup, TCU and KU. Um, what's uh, what's the feeling around Lawrence right now? I mean, this is this is something special, isn't it? I this mean, is what, exciting. What Lance Leipold is doing here, I mean, uh, it's uh, – th- th- this to me not only is the best story in college football, I think we're already talking about – Bow, one of the best turnarounds in the history of the sport. I don't think it's too early to be talking about that. I, I, I don't disagree. I'm a little worried of the next five weeks. KU's got five tough opponents in a row. And uh, there is no easy opponent for Kansas from here on out. There's nothing where they're going to be. I don't think they're going to be a favorite in any game coming up anytime soon. I mean, maybe when they play Kansas State. But I don't think they're going to be better lately. Yeah. So I I look at it and go, well, I mean, because they're not going to be – the other game that they're playing an unranked team is at Texas Tech. I can't think they'd be a favorite in that game either. That's not a bad team. That's not a bad team. Well, they've won a couple games against teams that I didn't think they'd be good against. Um, It's a great story. Jalen Daniels has been great. The running backs by the committee, he had Ohishaw and Neal, and I know Ohishaw's hurt now, and they'll have Kai Thomas come in and get a lot of those carries this week. I really like what they're doing. There is an excitement here in Lawrence, which I love, because I love football. I I know everybody here in Lawrence is basketball people, and I, I don't hate basketball, but basketball's not my thing. And I never can't I can't appreciate Kansas basketball like most people can. Because it's not that big a basketball guy. But football, the fact that people are starting to appreciate what they've got. Right. Some really good players. This is a really good team. You know, and having said that, they got to get one more win to be bowl eligible. They've already doubled the amount of wins that Vegas thought they were going to have. Yeah. This team's going to a bowl game. 
this team might win against TCU. And if they do, and they get the six and O, I mean, it's who's to say they couldn't beat Oklahoma or Texas or Baylor? I mean, I I can't put it past them right now. I like to see them score some more points. Iowa State gave them everything they wanted defensively. And to KU's credit, their defense played incredible this past week as well. Right. And so that that's a big deal. But I also think it's a big deal that you can do that, that you can go from being the second highest scoring team in college football to one week you get shut down, but you still win the game. Right. That's a big deal because everybody has that one game. Even the best teams have that game where you go, whoops, we almost or did step on it. Right. Alabama versus Texas this year. Georgia against Missouri. You know, these are the, those are the best two teams, two of the best three teams in college football, and they both almost lost games this year. You got to play together as a team. I like what Kansas is doing. It's an exciting time in Lawrence. And I can't wait people get me to say it, but rock chalk. I mean, it's been <laughs> it's been awesome. It's been awesome. And, and these are great guys to root for. I have literally have not met anybody in this program I did not like. Yeah. And that's 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 a big deal to me. So, oh, it's uh, it's been incredible, uh, for sure. Uh, Bo, it, it feels like that we've seen a number of big firings already, like much faster in college football than typically we're used to seeing. It feels that way. Maybe I'm wrong, but it, it does seem that way. And some pretty good jobs opening up. Yeah, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Arizona State, Georgia Tech, Colorado. Um, of those five that are open right now, and there's going to be more. Auburn's going to be open. Um, you know, there's going to be several others. But of the jobs that are open right now, what's what's the best one? Okay, so it's Wisconsin, Nebraska, Colorado, Colorado Nebraska, Georgia State, Tech, and Georgia Tech. The best one to me is Wisconsin. Second best one's Arizona State. If Arizona State lands in the Big 12. But I think that Wisconsin's the best, the best job opening. That's a football crazy place. And I don't know what you've heard, but I mean, there's people here talking about Lance Leipold possibly going. I don't think that's gonna happen. He's really talked down a lot about all that stuff. I I think that's going to be a, a, a makeup from a breakup. And I think Brett Bielma might go back. Mm, uh, I don't think he's going back as long as Barry Alvarez is there. Yeah. But, I, can see that, I can see that married to getting back together, though. Um, but the so, most attractive one to me is Wisconsin. Big Ten. In, in a place in the Big Ten where you're expected to win and you have support. That's a big deal. I'll say this, it's, though. Paul Chris is coming off a nine-win season. Yeah. Sure, things didn't start off well at two and three this year. But who did he piss off to lose that job? I mean, like, yeah. Wisconsin, you're not Michigan or Ohio State. Sure, you're you're better than Minnesota and you're better than Iowa, but you're not Miss Michigan or, or Ohio State. No. What, what did you want out of Paul Chris? Yeah, I, I I was curious about the timing on that one. You you brought it up earlier. You asked. It seems like it's been a lot real early. It has. It absolutely has. Usually by now, well, we're in early October. This is where the hot seats are getting hot. 
it usually isn't until later this month the first one happens. Right. When Nebraska cut bait quickly, it was like, well, all, all bets are off. And Georgia Tech was having all those problems they're having internally. Arizona State was something like that was a coup. I mean, it was something like there was assistant coaches coaching against it. Yeah. Um, that's there's gonna be so much of that story down the road that's gonna be fascinating, I think. Um, the Wisconsin one does surprise me. I have to go back and look at their schedule, but I would look at it and I would tend to think that they they have a chance to recover this season. But yeah, what do you expect this year in the big in the Big Ten? We know that Ohio State is the best team in the Big Ten. I think Ohio State's the second best team in the country. Yeah. I mean, there's three of them that are all together. If you had to give it to me, I'd think Ohio State. We I don't know how good Michigan is. They're very good. I don't know if they're in that top echelon right now. They're four in the country, and I just don't know if they're the fourth best team. Right. But they're a top, top-tier team. And when you got both of them in your division, like Wisconsin does, that makes it hard. Right. That's like being in the SEC and you've got in your AM and you've got um Alabama and LSU. Right. You know, that kind of thing. It, it just makes it difficult. And so I think there should have been more patience there, but I don't know. Is Wisconsin on the bye this week? Uh let's see. I can't find a game for them. They Wisconsin plays uh, Northwestern this week. Okay, I did not see it. I couldn't find the game. Here it is, yeah. So, and I look at their schedule. I mean, they've got, you know, their next four, their next, shit, their next six games are all winnable. Really, every game on their schedule is winnable. At Northwestern, at Michigan State, who's not as good as they were last year. Purdue, Maryland. Maryland's probably the best team they got left on their schedule. Those are at home. At Iowa. Iowa's not been good at all. Right. At Nebraska, who's a train wreck. And then Minnesota, you know that that's going to be a, that's going to be at least a tough physical game. But say you drop two of them, you still five. If you go five and two through that, you're still seven and five and you get a bowl game. Right. What do you want? In it? And call it an off year. Just say, hey. Right. You know, I mean, there's there's places where that's yeah. And how much do they have to pay him to go away? Eleven million, and he he took less money to go than uh, his buyout was. He's not taking his full buyout. Why not? I didn't understand. It, it would have to be that he can get another job. You might, we might guess. Maybe, maybe it doesn't count against him or something. I last thing uh, on the not getting call. free money out of me. That's what I'd say. No. Last thing, yeah. um, all off season. The biggest story in college football was the Alabama and uh, Texas A&M thing. Mm-hmm. And Texas A&M has been such a disappointment. A&M, you know, uh, Alabama's good, but maybe not quite as good as what they were expected to be, you know, in the beginning of the season. Um, this game's kind of lost its luster. Well, I mean, this was supposed to be the game of the SEC year. Yeah. And I feel like that whole thing, that back and forth between Saban and Jimbo, that feels like a long time ago now, Bo. It does. And A&M was a team that even a couple of weeks ago, I kept thinking they'll get it together. 
They'll get it together. They'll be good. They're they're talented. He's too good a coach to be this bad. Um, yeah, they're kind of that bad. Jimbo's a fraud. He's not good at all. He's not good at all. I mean, they got they I mean, got whooped. By, if, they if, got whooped in that game last. If week. he didn't have a general, game. if he didn't have a generational talent in Jameis Winston come through Florida State, what would we think of Jimbo Fisher right now? That's a really good question. He probably either would still be at Florida State or he had gotten fired at Florida State. Um, you know, and and I'm glad as an LSU guy, there was two attempts to hire Jimbo Fisher at LSU. And luckily he didn't take the job both times. And almost did. Almost did twice. Yeah. And so I'm glad it didn't happen. But to only score nine points against Mississippi, to lose a home game to Appalachian State, um, you know, to just look ridiculous against Mississippi State. You know, and they've got – and there's no cream puffs left. I mean, they've got – I mean, South Carolina's not good. They got Ole Miss next week. They got Florida, who ain't joking around. Auburn, I mean, Auburn's going to be you – know, they have their own coaching issues. And then they do have a non-con game against UMass. They end with LSU. You know, that's a revenge game at LSU. They want a piece of, of – a&M. Well, and he's in trouble. He's in trouble, but his buyout is precluding him from going anywhere. Well, and it feels like with that AM program, they're on like a clock of some sorts here because, you know, they've been able to capitalize uh, on recruiting of, you know, having the distinction of being the one Texas school in the SEC. And now Texas and Oklahoma coming in that big advantage if you want to call it that they won't have anymore and you know they have the great stadium the facilities and obviously they got some nil money there but i mean that the the big thing that was supposed to be their thing to stand out them being the sec doesn't make them any more unique from texas and oklahoma when when they join the league yeah and and a&m if you look at those places if you're a young man and you're getting recruited to all these places, if you're getting recruited by NAM, you're getting recruited by Alabama and by uh, Georgia and by everybody, by Oklahoma, by Texas, by USC. You really want to go to College Station, Texas? Yeah. I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, it, all the NIL money in the world ain't going to make a difference if you're stuck in College Station. I just – Jimbo Fisher has to do a better job, and his contract right now. I, you know, I heard Paul Feinbaum say that he was with some A and M people, and they were saying, "Well, we don't care how much that is; we'll buy him out if we have to." They're not paying, you know, sixty, seventy, eighty million dollars for him to go away. Yeah. Nobody's doing that. You know, I saw I saw that and almost laughed my ass off watching watching uh, Paul Feinbaum this week talk about that. Hey, Jimbo's going nowhere for another three or four years at least. So, yeah, but, but you know, they made their bed. And it's funny because between Texas, Texas A&M, you know, the biggest football city in that state is Houston. Houston has the most, you know, D1 high school players. But, you know, in recruiting circles, that's not an A&M or a Texas city. Right. That's LSU. Right. More more LSU grads come from Houston than any other city in the nation. Right. Yeah. 
East Coast Bowl, uh, O'Connor Advisor Group, OHGKS.com. Uh, Huge, and, that, and we've seen that in recruiting. It's going to be a two-team battle instead of a three-team battle. Yeah, you're right about that. Coach Bo, O'Connor Advisor Group, Coach Bo Knows Podcast out each and every Monday and Friday. Bo, appreciate the time as always. We'll catch you with you next week. Thank you, Tyler. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Before we get out of here, time for our Tom Fullery Story of the Week, where we tell you – Something ridiculous happening in the world. And this week we will head to Toronto, up north the border, and uh, tell you about a, a situation at a, a Blue Jays game as uh, the MLB season is uh, wrapping up here, the regular season, almost playoff time. And uh, this story comes from my favorite paper of record in the country, the New York Post. And the New York Post folks just never cease to amaze me. Never fails. Um, Here's what the story goes. A public marriage proposal at a Toronto Blue Jays and Boston Red Sox Major League Baseball game over the weekend went horribly wrong as shocked spectators watched. In a viral video that's received over 200,000 views in under 48 hours, a fan can be seen stopping his girlfriend mid-game as she walks down the stairs to her seat in the stadium. The man then pulls his confused girlfriend toward him, towards him, kisses her, says, I love you, as he begins to kneel down, leaving the young woman gasping in disbelief with her hand over her mouth, anticipating what would happen next. Assuming the proposal would be smooth sailing, Official camera crew for the game also started videoing the moment to share on the big screen. The man then kneels down on the stairs and pulls a black box out of his left jean pocket to the woman's and crowd's astonishment, opens the box to reveal a ring pop. Upon seeing the red lollipop ring, the woman immediately slaps her partner as Blue Jay fans shriek in horror. While the details as to whether the proposal was genuine or a prank have yet to be uncovered, social media users were quick to point out an important feature of the video. It is believed the man had the intention of proposing with a real ring after the initial joke and surprise of the ring pop, given he had what appears to be another smaller box in his left pocket. So... What it sounds like is that this was a proposal that went horribly wrong. And, you know, the girlfriend got offended and slapped him and and all that. And he didn't get the real proposal out. Um, First off, never, I mean never, propose at a stadium. It's so tacky. It's so cheesy. It's been done before it's not unique at all um it is a very very bad idea to propose at a stadium in fact i'm surprised that with these stadium proposals being so public and as bad as they are that we don't see more rejections in these stadium proposals here that more women just don't straight up say no um, in these cases, because they should. Because if, if you're proposing in a stadium, I mean, you're just you're just asking for that marriage to not go well or for something to go wrong here. 
And, you know, sometimes you have a situation where, you know, the, the chick, whatever, says yes, but then, you know, doesn't want to make a scene, and then they talk about it later and all that. Um, I mean, it's just a, a bad, bad idea. And, you know, this, this he, he wanted to have his joke, sure, you know, get the, 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 the ring pop, whatever. But, I mean, can you blame her? Can you blame, I mean, she sees that ring pop, and she's probably been thinking about marriage for who knows how long. And you pull out a ring pop, yeah, yeah, she's going to be pissed. So, look, I, I, I'm a jokester. I, I love having a good time and everything. But, I mean, there's always a time and there's always a place. And, and I got to tell you, folks, you know, marriage, marriage proposals and all that, that is no laughing matter. I mean, you, you, you think about this. Put this in perspective here. This girl's probably been planning her wedding her entire life and has thought about all these specific details and, you know, and even how she was going to get proposed to. This is not how she envisioned how she wanted to be proposed to was at a stadium with a ring pop, even if your intentions were good and you had a real ring after that. That's not what she signed up for. That's not what she wanted. I mean, come on, man. You know, here's the thing. If if you want to do the stadium proposal, my only thing, my, my, my only two other scenarios where it is okay to do the stadium proposal is one, after a... A big game, a big win, you know, that you've had. Um, you know, everybody thinks about Ian Johnson, what he did, you know, after Boise State won the Fiesta Bowl and proposed to his girlfriend, that that cheerleader, you know, after they beat Oklahoma. Um, that's one. And then the other option is the empty stadium. Um, you go on that private tour, no one else is around. You're in your favorite arena. You're in your favorite stadium. You get it on the screen, whatever. Um, but you don't have the public pressure and all that. Um, and, and, and even in that scenario, like, both of you need to be fans of that team. Like, you know, we, we got the Red River shootout this weekend, right, between OU and Texas. If you're an OU fan and she's a UT fan and you take her on a tour of Memorial Stadium at OU, and you propose to her on the 50-yard line, she's a UT fan, that doesn't make much sense. I mean, let's be honest here. So, with, with that said, you know, it, there's, there's a lot of factors. A lot has got to go well. you got to uh, be fans of the same team. You can't do it in a public setting unless you've won a big game or whatever where you're not the story where you're adding to the story or you do it in an empty venue and uh, when there's no public pressure and you guys are fans of the same team. So that's just my advice. Now, granted, this is coming from a guy that is not married. I've never proposed to anybody ever. Um, you know, someday I'm sure I probably will. But not right now. I, I'm not on uh, on that boat at this point in time. So... Take that what you will with a grain of salt. Um, if you've learned anything from me today on this show, um, 
when it comes to marriages and weddings and all this. I mean, for a single guy that's never been married, um, I sure have shared my opinions here, folks, especially in other people. Um, but as far as my opinions go and the way that I've, I've shaped things out here today, um, you know, we, what, what we've learned is I, I hate fall weddings during football season. Uh, I think those, there's a good chance they fail, um, that they are a very bad idea, and it's bad for everyone else. Uh, you're forcing your friends to miss football games and everything. That's a bad move. And then secondly, proposals. Do not propose at stadiums. Um, you know, and do not use, you know, ring pops, whatever, to do that. Um, if you're going to propose at a stadium, make sure it's empty and make sure you're a fan of both those teams, um, of the same team. So that's my advice there. So that's free advice. I didn't even charge you for it. Why? Because I'm that type of guy. That's how we roll here on the Jones Report. So with that, uh, we will go. Big thanks to Luke Slayball and uh, Coach Ball. Both those guys are part of our family here at Studio Soapbox, Studio Soapbox Network. Um, Luke does his show every week, Raw Tools. Second season, he does a great job with that. Coach Bo, Coach Bo knows show. He does every Monday and Friday, and he does a great job with that show too. you got to check out both of those shows. Um, if you liked what you heard today, you're going to enjoy both their shows. They do a great job. Um, of course, me and David Starr and Dominic Argon. We do our show, uh, Let's Go Racing, every week and uh, talk about everything in the NASCAR world. you got the Bevo Boys and all that, all a part of the Studio Soapbox Network here uh, and uh, the flagship show right here at the Jones Report. Subscribe to all our shows. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Social media, you can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Tyler Jones Live, facebook.com slash Studio Soapbox, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, and... Studio underscore Soapbox, Instagram, Jones underscore Report, Tyler Jones Live. You can find me there, and I would appreciate all the follows uh, that you guys have uh, for me on those social media platforms. And uh, we will see you right back here next week. And I hope you have a great rest of your weekend. I'm off to the Red River Shootout this weekend, Texas State Fair. Going to get me a corny dog. It's going to be a good time. And I'll see you right back here next week. For Luke Slaybaugh, Brian O'Connor, our entire crew of Tyler Jones, saying so long. It's been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you next week.